the Spirit of Jazz podcast, where music dances with mystery, with your hosts, Bill Carter and Jeff Kellum. Welcome to episode three of the Spirit of Jazz podcast. I'm Bill Carter. And I'm Jeff Kellum, and it's only episode three. It is only episode three, but uh, we have many more to go because we have so much to say. Yes, indeed. So much to discover about this unusual music of jazz. What is jazz, Bill Carter? Now, I, you know, I have to, I'm asking that question as uh, a student of jazz, and thou art the professor of jazz. I do not know. It is a tradition. It is a living tradition. So we can analyze it historically, what happened at various places. We can even have our musical tastes frozen in one particular epoch of that time. But jazz continues on. It surges forward like a living stream. You know, I've just been reading Deanna Witkowski's biography of Mary Lou Williams and a family tree of jazz. Yes. And, and the roots were where? Do you remember? Well, the roots were in suffering. Uh, the roots were deep into the suffering of human folk. And uh, and out of that expression of the blues and expressions of dissonance, which find their way into the music. And a lot of jazz moves between tension and release. Uh, there's something ugly that becomes something beautiful or something beautiful that leads to more ambiguity or complication. As with a lot of musical composition, this this unfolds in real time. And I guess one of the answers to your question, jazz is music that proceeds in the making of it. It's created as it goes. Yeah, and I think about the uh, the first word that comes to mind when people think about jazz is improvisation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of, but it's more than just making things up as you go along. There's got to yeah. be a foundation of there has to be something that prepares you to to be free yeah well that's true that's true yeah i just think of that old line from homer simpson on the simpsons uh, who said one night jazz uh, they just make it up as they go along uh well it isn't just anything it's more than that and to be able to create music it helps if you know about how melodies are constructed how melody works with harmony how rhythms can cause the music to evoke a dance and a certain kind of style or form or shape. Mm-hmm. And all of that is kind of the creative tool chest of the working jazz musician. You mentioned the word dance. And, and before we started recording, I, I was thinking of the Eddie Harris composition, Freedom Jazz Dance. Uh, you take jazz out of the middle of that and you've got freedom dance and uh, the freedom to interpret the melody that you hear in your head in a different way every time you play, whether you're blowing a horn or playing the keyboard or hitting the drums. That's true. And our friend Al Ham, when he would teach uh, jazz history, pointed out that after the Civil War, a lot of leftover band instruments ended up in the port of New Orleans. And they would often be utilized by community bands who did not learn by looking at dots on the page. They found out how to make sounds and alter those sounds on the instruments. Think of a cornet, for instance. Then uh, they learned how to blend together, but it was all by ear. Right. Uh, I think of, once again, the, the Mary Lou Williams biography that talked about how she sat on her mother's lap and just 
played what she heard her mother play. She didn't have lessons, but she had this innate ability. Of, and not every jazz musician has an, an innate ability. There's training involved. There's, as you've mentioned, composition. There's harmony. There is. Uh, and we'll get to the whole training and the internal freedom as well. But I, I remember also a, a tale of um, Little Bicky. Dick Spiderbeck, two or three years old, he would tootle over to the upright piano in the family home and reach up and find some notes and play a song that he had just heard somewhere else. Wow. So uh, there are some people whose brains can process it that quickly, but it's facilitated by learning and uh, studying and rehearsing and particularly with jazz, playing with other musicians. So you need to know something about harmony. You know, that, okay, there are different kinds of chords, a major chord, a minor chord, a dominant seventh chord, a diminished chord, and then a big fat mess chord. <laughs> and then each of these chords might suggest other notes that fit, and they might involve a musical scale, uh, something that goes like from a C to a C, and follows maybe all the white notes of C major scale. Now, but as you say that, the first thing that occurs to me is it's easy for pianists to do that because with your fingers, you're making chords as you play. That's correct. But a trumpeter can't play a chord, right? They play a single note and they need other That's notes. Right. And that might be why a lot of jazz trumpeters or saxophonists or bassists, even drummers, have some piano ability. Uh-huh. So they, they understand how music might get put together. And the great thing about the piano is it's all laid out in front of you. It's visual. Yeah. And if you have the imagination of a Duke Ellington, you can create an orchestral sound by what you play on the piano. Right. So you need to know some of this. I remember a clinic when I was in high school. Phil Woods was in Syracuse, New York, the great saxophonist. And at some point... Um, he invited some student musicians up on stage to play, and they started playing a Charlie Parker tune, and he stopped them immediately. And they looked at him kind of shocked, and he said, unless you can play the tune correctly, don't you dare get up on the stage. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, the other side of that is you can play the tune correctly, but the early jazz musicians would hear a tune um, maybe even something like a, a Sousa March or Maple Leaf Rag, and they would interpret it very loosely. And the mm -hmm. first level of improvisation was just doing kind of funny or funky or you know certain things with the melody. And, um, and if you're playing um, what you have heard, maybe what you heard wasn't correct to begin with. That's right. That's right. In fact, there is one arrangement that I'll be uh, working with a band this fall that I that I wrote out and I realized about the eighth note in the melody is a D flat, not a D natural. So I got to I have to go back and correct all that. Yeah. yeah. But that's because I took it off a recording where they had played it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they back when that recording was made, probably they couldn't just push a button and correct the note. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so what are they doing with jazz? I mean, that's a good common question. What, what is jazz? Uh, jazz may be a verb more than a, than a noun. Uh, they're jazzing something up. Yeah. I think interpretation and invention probably lie at the heart of that. Um, 
later on, others, uh, Winton Marcellus would say there's always a, a quality of swing to it, that the rhythm kind of pulses in a certain way, which is fine if the rhythm is 4-4, uh, four, four, but if you go to Latin music, if it swings, it's going to swing in a different kind of uh, rhythmic feel. Um, so, you know, but there's something inventive about it, something unfolding about it. And I find that this this can kind of horrify uh, traditional musicians, uh, what we might call legitimate musicians, who learn by looking at dots on the page. Yeah. And, and then they translate that into what their fingers or their lips will do. Um, because all of a sudden it's it's like the the bottom falls out and and they really don't know where it's going what's what's next well and that could be true of some pop group that has had a hit recording and they go to a concert and the concert goer expects to hear it just as it was in the hit recording and That's it takes away the freedom then of the musician to say you know i want to go beyond what we did two years ago in the recording studio Right. Well, and and that's how a lot of jazz history has proceeded. Um, back in the uh, in the 1930s, when the big bands were touring through the nation and beyond, mostly the nation, uh, the musicians would be playing the same tune from the same arrangements every night, sure, 100, 300 nights a year, and the feature would be maybe uh, a couple of special soloists in the in the There'd be a couple of special soloists in the band, a trumpeter, or maybe a saxophonist or two, possibly a trombonist or a pianist. And they would have these little improvised interludes, or maybe the piano player would be playing over top of the musical ensemble, the brass. Um, so there'd be something invented as a new kind of variation over top. But that began as World War II. That began to become something called bebop, hmm. which was they sped up the tempos. Uh, they played with a lot more freedom. They embraced the dissonance of harmony, and they would just kind of see what happened next. And man, you you and it's almost like they're racing toward a cliff, and just to see what would happen. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think of the the adventure there with not knowing what's coming next. Also, mm -hmm. the idea of having to listen to the other musicians. Um, you're not just watching the, the notes on the page, but you're listening to the musicians around you to see where they're going. They're either leading you or you're leading them. That's right. I, I, I want to go back to a concert I heard a couple of nights ago when the band was playing. Um, they played In the Mood, and they played it just like it was on the record. You know, It was a Glenn Miller arrangement. And then they played something that's kind of ragged, but I appreciated the effort to grow a little bit, to expand, and, and to make sounds that we weren't used to. That's right. And and to push ourselves as musicians and to push one another as colleagues. Mm -hmm. So there's something expansive at the heart of this. And as you said early on, it requires great freedom. Mm -hmm. Freedom is something we have when we're very young. And freedom is something we lose as we begin to mature and have to live within disciplined rules. There's the old story of the of the child who's drawing a picture of a flower, and the and the teacher says that's not the color that flower should be. Well, the child had this freedom to draw what they wanted to draw, but then they start getting the parameters and color within the lines and use correct stuff. Exactly, and a lot of people are taught music that way. Yeah, I remember one time when I was a teenager, finding myself bored with a Bach tune in A minor, 
So I discovered that the old tune Summertime from Porgy and Bess could fit into this uh, two-part invention a little bit. And I played it for my teacher without telling her what it was. And she stopped me and she said, but that's not what the music says. (laughs) Gershwin had no place there. But, you know, not long after that, I decided I needed to work on learning adventure and risk exploration. It's something you have to undertake. It doesn't always come naturally to everybody, especially if you're a firstborn child like me and you've colored within the lines because people told you that's all you did.
So what was that song, Bill? We call that one This or That. It was one of our Psalms Without Words from a double album we did some years ago. So we want to invite you, if you're still with us and listening in, why don't you do something differently today? Or if you're on your way to a familiar place, take a different route. Go a different way. Try uh, drawing a picture, but if you're right-handed, do it with your left hand. And give yourself the the graciousness and the forgiveness uh, to make a mistake or two. But see what happens. Thanks for listening to the Spirit of Jazz podcast. This is a production of Presby Bop Music. To find out more about Presby Bop, our music, concerts, and recordings, please explore our website at com, And send us a note telling us what you think about the Spirit of Jazz. We'd love to hear from you. Check in with us again next time. I'm Jeff Kellum. And I'm Bill Carter. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>